Alright, the transfer window is closed for now, so we take a look at the five returnees and five newbies that will have an effect on the 2023 season. And then after, big game at Breslin Center, we have Greg Petuto of On The Banks to let us know what to expect from his Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Let's go. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Spartan friends, Spartan family, thank you so much for kicking off your day here with us at Locked on Spartans. That's right, your team in green and white five days a week here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Oh, I'm so scared for the game against Rutgers. I can't lie. Uh, We will get to that in segments two and three with Greg Petuto. Yes, of the SB Nation blog on the banks covering all things Rutgers. Great conversation with him. Uh, Very concise, very informative. Love talking with him, and I hope you love hearing from him. But first, hey, let's talk some football. The transfer portal window has shut for now. Uh, There will be another period starting May 1st to May 15th. After spring ball, there will be another time for players to leave, players to come into the program, and then, yes, there is another signing day coming up here starting February 1st. So, yeah, the dust has kind of settled now on the offseason, and we're going to go through Michigan State's top five returnees and newbies that will have an effect on the 2023 season. So, just for the heads up, we're ranking guys and what they will do in 2023. Like, for example, Sam Levitt. You know, I, I think that he's going to have a great career at Michigan State one day. He's going to be awesome. Hey, on three, has him rated as a top 100 player. However, he will not be making this list because I highly doubt he will have an impact in 2023. So, you know, just kind of get a feel of what we're looking for. We're looking for top commits, you know, that's signed on signing day, top transfers or top returnees that turn down, you know, going to the NFL, just leaving football for good. We're not doing any, you know, rumored guys that would enter the transfer portal because how concrete were those rumors to begin with? So that's the ground rules. Before going into this top five ranking of players that will have an impact on the 2023 season in East Lansing. And, you know, hey, before getting to the top five, let's look at the guy who is on the outside looking in. The guy that just missed the cut for me is one of those guys that signed on signing day. And yes, he is the diamond of the class. It is by Joe. You know, the edge rusher out of Oklahoma. I have him on the outside looking in. Top 50 guy per on three. Rivals has him in the top 200. Uh, 24-7 sports, I believe, in the top 100. If not, then just outside. But, hey, this is also a kid that shined at the All-American Bowl. Uh, rarely, if ever, losing reps against five-star offensive tackles that he faced in that weekend down south. So, yeah, the stock for by Job is only rising. However, the reason that we have him outside the top five is that, at the end of the day, he still is a true freshman, and for football, it is difficult to see a true freshman make such a big impact immediately. Not impossible, just, you know, kind of improbable, and especially when, you know, you have a room as deep as Michigan State does with their defensive ends with guys like Chris Bogle, Chase Carter, Zion Young, Brandon Wright, Avery Dunn, and, well, let's start with number five. That's right, Tumiche Adelaide. Out of Texas A&M, I'm getting a little more comfortable with my confidence in pronouncing his name correctly. I'm sorry if I'm still botching it, but hey, 
we can all agree on this is that this kid was a massive pickup for Michigan State in this transfer portal cycle. And what sticks out to me about Mr. Adelaide is his versatility. You can play him inside. You can play him on the edge at six foot four, two hundred ninety-five pounds. Yeah, this kid can be an animal on the defensive line, especially with great coaching from Brandon Jordan and the rest of the defensive staff. Now, right now, he's at number five, which might be a surprise because, well, during his recruitment, so to speak. He was a former top 60 recruit. I mean, this guy was one of the crown jewels of his class. But we haven't seen a lot from him in his two years of college. He redshirted his first year. He only played two years at Texas A&M before leaving with an injury. But hey, maybe he does blossom into this dynamite, borderline five-star player that he was expected to be out of high school. That could propel him to number one. But right now, the floor for Mr. Adelaide is just versatility, a guy that could be a day one starter. So there we have it for number five. Uh, hey, this is his third year of college. That's a positive. The negative is, is that, yeah, you know, he's only played two collegiate games, but if you want to buy stock, this might be the guy that you want to buy stock in. Number four, we are going to go to another transfer. We're going to go out east to UConn's transfer running back, Nathan Carter. That's right, 6.2 yards per carry last season before he got hurt in his fourth game at UConn. Racked up 405 yards, and over half of those were after contact. Look, Michigan State in the running back room, okay? They returned Jalen Berger, who will probably be the starter. He had 148 carries last year. However, 133 carries are now gone with Jarek Broussard and Eli Collins not with the program anymore. Who's going to step up and fill in? Yeah, I think it's going to be Nathan Carter. <laughs> no doubt about that. And the 148 split that Jalen Berger had to the 133 split that Broussard and Collins left, I can see Carter really filling that void almost entirely by himself. I think that this could be close to a 50-50 split with carries going into the season with Nathan Carter and just how powerful of a runner he is. So that's number four in our top five returnees and newbies for 2023. Now, I'm sorry, I cheated with number three because I included two guys in the same spot because they're very similar position-wise, how long they've been here, how well they play, and that is Nick Samak and J.D. Duplain tied for number three on this list. Uh, these guys are Big Ten honorable mention uh, honorees, if you will. Uh, two guys with four years of collegiate experience. And look, it's just the skill, first and foremost. I mean, you feel pretty confident with those two guys inside the interior offensive line. But it's also what Michigan State doesn't have to do now. Uh, they don't have to break in two new starters. And that's not to say that the guys behind them are no good. We just don't know much about them. So to have the sure thing in J.D. Duplain and Nick Samak coming back, I mean, this gives a world of confidence to probably the running backs, probably whoever's playing quarterback next year. And also, let's talk about us for a little bit, the fans. It's, it's going to give us a little more confidence going into this season you know, than what we had to deal with last year as well. So number three is two guys, Jacob Slade, J.D. Duplain. And we're not done talking about offensive linemen yet because number two for additions and returnees, I'm going with Keyshawn Blackstock. That's right. Uh, I'm going with the number one junior college, uh, sorry, the number one rated junior college interior offensive lineman. He's a new face, but 
He does have two years of junior college experience, and this isn't some rinky-dink junior college that he was on. You know, he was with Coffeyville, and that is a highly regarded junior college. Got a lot of great experience down there. And just like what we talked about with Tumiche Adelaide, what sticks out to me with Keyshawn Blackstock is the versatility. He can play inside. He can play outside. Maybe he's the starting right tackle to start the season. Maybe you bump him inside. There's really so much flexibility of what you can do with this kid. That, yeah, that's why I have him ranked number two. This is going to be, maybe, dare I say, a plus offensive line in the Big Ten going into this season. So, and yeah, that helps with J.D. Duplain, Nick Samek, and Keyshawn Blackstock, whether all three are inside or Blackstock is kicked out to right tackle. Hey, use him at whatever disposal you want to. Fact of the matter is, you got a day one starter coming in with this kid. And number one, I'm not going to shock a lot of people with this one. It's Jacoby Winman, a guy that very well could have gone to the draft but decided to return to East Lansing. And I'm going to use the V word again. We're using versatility, my friends. He can play linebacker like he did at the end of his season before he got shut down in the final month. He has played edge. He's also won the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week three separate times last year. He can play both of those positions at an elite level in the Big Ten. So it goes without saying that Jacoby Winman is the number one returner. This is going to be a really, really solid defensive front. And hey, Jacoby Winman captaining this? Okay, you feel really good about what you have up front. Now, some other guys who uh, got left off this list, you know, some honorable mentions, if you will. Aaron Brule. All right, that's a great return. He very well could have left. Chris Bogle as well. Or, hey, I got two transfers written down, two for honorable mention. Ty Neal Hopper. That's right, Ty Neal Hopper. Not a guy that we've talked up and down uh, a lot about, but the tight end transfer from Boise State. Really like his blocking ability in all the film that I've seen with Tyler Hunt out of the mix now. Maybe Ty Neal Hopper is that blocking tight end that, well, can just plug right in for a Tyler Hunt left. And then... Let's not talk defense. Let's not talk offense. Let's talk about kicking. Because holy crap, Lord knows how important that is. So yes, North Carolina transfer Jonathan Kim. He could very well be a guy that shoots up this top five list as well. But right now we know that he hasn't kicked a lot of field goals in his career. But it's going to be an open competition in spring camp, in summer camp, going into the fall. Can we just get a guy that can make a field goal? That'd be just fantastic. So there you have it. If you agree, disagree, comment below on YouTube, or if you're one of those old-fashioned podcast listeners, hey, fire up the internet, lockonspartans at gmail.com, let us know how you feel about the list. Now, we're going to get to a little bit of talk about this basketball game going on at Breslin Center, but first, hey, betonline.net, that's right, right now, actually, it opened up that Michigan State versus Rutgers is a pick'em at betonline.net, so before even listening to the preview, if you already feel hot about our Michigan State Spartans, Go wager a few shekels over at Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. We got the divisional weekend in the NFL coming up. Bet Online has all the odds, ends, futures, props, anything you need over at that website at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, well, you could find even more of those at Bet Online as well. We are always the fastest and easiest way to get in on all of your sports betting actions. So, what are you waiting for? Head to the website today, use your mobile device, learn more about the trends in action. That is at Bet Online where the game starts. 
It is Greg Petuto of On The Banks. Yes, he's the managing editor of that lovely SB Nation site over there. He knows everything inside and out about his Scarlet Knights. But before getting to the game, hey, we, just, we care about you, Greg. How are you doing as a person on this fine day? Couldn't be doing better as of now. Always, always excited to talk some hoops and sports in general. So let's dive into it. I mean, your Scarlet Knights are 13-5 on the season. You're 5-2 in the Big Ten. And, oh, yeah, let's not even worry about this season. How about 2024? You guys just landed a five-star over there in Piscataway. So, of course, you're, you're probably just skipping for joy every single day over there. Is it safe to say that, you know, you guys over there in Rutgers Nation are pretty ecstatic with how things are going on lately in the basketball program? Yeah, I mean, that's a given. You talk about the past couple of years, um, getting back to the NCAA tournament would have been there in 2020 as well. Obviously, it was canceled yeah. due to the pandemic. Um, Steve Pike, with the job he's done at Rutgers since he took over, taking them from where they were near the bottom to where they are now. It, it really can't just be put into words, the, the job he has done. And on the recruiting aspect, you mentioned getting Ace Bailey in the class of 2024. He's going after Dylan Harper as well hard, obviously with Ron Harper Jr. being yep. what he was at Rutgers, trying to keep the family lineage going. That would be another five-star in the class. Um, so if they ever landed him, you know, fans would be absolutely through the roof even more. But times are good right now at Rutgers, and, and people expect it to keep going up. And as far as expectations go, I mean, you guys are one of 10 teams, you know, just like my Spartans that are competing for that second place title in the Big Ten this year. We're going to assume that Purdue is, you know, the clear front runner here. But is this the expectation going into the season? Did you expect to be this high in the upper third of the Big Ten? Or is even this a surprise since you guys saw Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker step away from the program in the offseason? It's a bit of a surprise to me, to be honest, that they are where they are. I expected Rutgers to be a tournament team once again, um, maybe mm. on that bubble area, but they've really solidified themselves really right now looking at a five or six seed, depending on how the rest of the season goes. So it's a little bit of a surprise to me with the loss you mentioned of Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker, because there were a lot of questions coming in. You didn't really know what the team's identity was going to be. And the main one, you know, who's going to take the last shot at the end of the game, losing their two big shot makers, uh, the two veterans that really helped turn this program around as a whole. To this point through 18 games, both of those questions have been answered. And Rutgers seems to know what they are on the floor and what they want to do. Speaking of identity, I, like safe to say that defense is the, the name of the game there yes. in Piscataway. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just read through some stats really quick that uh, is great for you guys. But me as a state fan, I don't really necessarily love uh, your opponent's three point percentage, 28.2%. Okay. That's 13th best in the country. Two point field goal percentage is 43.8. That's 16th best in the country. Greg, you guys are so good at defense. Your free throw percentage defense is 66.5%. That's 28th best in the country. So even when you guys can't guard a shot on the free throw line, you guys are still good at it. What has made the defense so elite for you guys so far this season? Really just game plan and players doing what they do best. You know, um, Cliff O'Mori is a beast down low, you know, a freak athlete, um, shot blocker. So they have the rim protector there. Um, Cam Spetcher and Paul Mulcahy on the perimeter, you know, doing what they do against ball handlers. But, I mean, the obvious, Caleb McConnell coming back from his injury early on in the season, you know, going from – he wants to go from Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year to the National Defensive Player of the Year. So he's a complete difference maker on that end of the floor and really brings the whole defense together. But really just the players buying into their jobs and their roles and and doing it on a nightly basis. And so what would you say the defense is stronger down low in the paint or is it around the perimeter? Or is it just that dead of a heat of a tie that it's just everywhere? I mean, they're strong everywhere. But if I had to give an edge, I would say along the perimeter. Um, I mentioned okay. McConnell, but – even Cam Spencer, you know, up there with 
Um, every other player steals per game in the conference. Um, Paul Mulcahy, he's a good player on both ends of the floor, but his defense has improved. So really just coming in and they're going to make it difficult for guards on the perimeter. And as, as we know, in the Big Ten and college basketball as a whole, if you're able to defend the perimeter well, you're going to have some success. No doubt. And you mentioned Cam Spencer as well, the transfer from um, Loyola, Maryland. Excuse me, I said Loyola, Chicago. That would have been erroneous on all accounts. But safe to say that he is the main offensive weapon, or is it a little more diverse than just him up there doing the work? Um, in terms of putting the ball in the basket, Cam Spencer right now is taking over. He's you know close to 14 points a game leading the team. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what Rutgers expected when he transferred. They knew that he would be able to score and that he was a good shooter from three-point range. He led you know the Patriot League in scoring before coming over. So he has the ability, and that's transferred really well into Big Ten play. But the guy's just a gamer. You can see his yeah. toughness on the floor. You know He's got the, um, the mental ability as well. He believes in himself and his team, and his preparation is – is as good as any. He's not a player that's going to um, – he's not going to be a crazy – he's not going to out-athletic anybody, if we want to put it okay. that way. But in terms of getting to the right spot, knowing where to be, how to create his own shot, just the list goes on on what he can do um, on the floor on the offensive end. As for everyone else, it, it varies, you know, because there's Paul Mulcahy, good ball handler. Um, he was up there in assist per game last year. He's going to probably mm-hmm. get it again. Um, doesn't turn the ball over, makes smart decisions. And he can score if he gets in the paint. Um, Rutgers doesn't shoot the ball well from deep, so it's good that they defend well from three-point range because they can't. They're struggling to make their own, but this team does a lot of different things. But having Cam Spencer to kind of tie it all together, it's a big advantage. Now, how has Paul Mulcahy been for you guys? Because maybe I'm just looking at it in too tight of a window in his games versus Michigan State, but it seems like that he's either good for, like, 22 points on 7 of 10 shooting, or he'll do, like, a 5-point flub of a game on two of 13 shooting like is he that up and down of a player or am i just crazy in my analysis of him he's that he you could say he's that up and down um inconsistent has a negative connotation but so i'm not gonna yeah. use that but he's a bit up and down when it comes to scoring and we've seen that as well there's games where he could get in the paint and really do whatever he wants but there's some days where he's a little more passive in terms of his overall play i mean ruckers fans ruckers should be happy with where he is because mainly he's a leader um, he's the gotcha. strong ball handler that players want. You know, obviously you need a point guard, no matter what conference you're in, to lead the way. He he gives them that. He can set his teammates up really well. You know, when you look at Cam Spencer's um, game-winning shots against both Purdue and Northwestern, yep. Paul McKay, he was the one out of the timeout with the ball in his hands, being able to set him up on the perimeter for that shot. So even when he's not necessarily putting the ball in the basket, you know, he's finding teammates, he's rebounding, plays strong defense, so – while his scoring's a bit up and down, he does so many things well offensively that Rutgers is just happy to have him out there. There we go. Well, take that over in Piscataway, no doubt about that. And Cliff Amaruri, let's go from the guard play to the big man down low. Uh, this guy is obviously built like a statue. You know, <laughs> he is uh, a physically imposing presence. But over from you know even his freshman year or sophomore year to who he is today, what has he improved on the most in his time at Rutgers? Yeah, Cliff Omori coming in was an immediate fan favorite, first of all, because he was such a big recruit in New Jersey from Roosevelt Catholic, just a powerhouse high school in New Jersey. And he was one of those top 50 players that stayed home, you know, and believed in Rutgers. So he's an immediate fan favorite. Um, His freshman season, he was the backup center with Miles Johnson um, leading the way. You know, the dominant player went over to UCLA. Cliff Mm -hmm. got his chance as a sophomore, and you saw his numbers skyrocket. And it's continuing this year. I will say he's not – 
he's a bit raw down low. He's not a polished scorer from the post. You know, he's not the type of player you're going to dump it down to and expect him to get a basket down low. Um, we know what he does dunking the basketball and rebounding. He's a good shot blocker. So mainly yeah. just the athleticism jumps off the page. You know, he's a freak athlete. Yeah. In terms of improving his post presence, I think that's what he needs to do to accelerate his game even more and then obviously onto the NBA level. But in terms of just taking over um, the main the main role as a center and staying out of foul trouble. Freshman year, he had a big, big problem with that. Last year, he improved yep. upon that. And this year, he's able to stay on the floor a bit more consistently. But there's still some work there to be go. done. But again, as far as his athleticism goes, there's not many that can that can keep up. There we go. And state fans know this all too well, is that our bench over here in East Lansing, not really getting the job done necessarily. And that really hurts with Malik Hall being out anywhere from one game to the rest of his life. No, no one really knows how long Malik Hall is going to be out for. But regardless, our bench is not picking up the slack that he's leaving behind. How about over in Piscataway? How are your bench players doing? Is there any sixth man that we really have to be worried about coming off the bench to destroy this game for us? It's gotten a bit deeper, obviously, since Rutgers has gotten healthy. That's that's how it goes with teams. Yeah. Obviously, if you're healthy, you're gonna be deeper. But early on when both Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell were struggling with injuries, they missed time here and there. Obviously, paper thin coming off the bench. So now that they're back in the lineup, you know, you can move Andre Hyatt to the bench, who's been, you know, consistent shooting the ball. Another high recruit coming out. He transferred over and has really found his role on both ends at Rutgers. Um Derek Simpson is another name. Fans are excited about him, the freshman um, from Lenape in New Jersey. Uh, an athletic point guard, again, struggling to shoot the ball a bit, turnover mm-hmm. here and there. But, again, he's a, a freshman, a first-year player. He'll learn more from Mulcahy as the year goes on. But he's a player to watch. Good ball handler, can get to the rim. Again, more of an athletic guard um, with the speed and the quickness. So there's a few names there to watch. Um, really, nobody jumps off the page tremendously. You know, okay. if I had to say in terms of, of six man for Rutgers, but as a whole, as a group, um, the bench has been strong and they're giving good minutes. And this is a question or a pair of questions rather that I like to ask every guest, especially great guests like you. This has been awesome. Thanks a lot for your time so far in this chat. But uh, my anxiety uh, around a college basketball game isn't high enough as it is. So how can you make it even higher? Like what what should I be worried about the entire day? leading up to this game about Rutgers, what do you feel just the best about this team going into the matchup at Breslin Center? I mean, we spoke about the defense, right? We we talk about that at length. And I think that's really the main thing that all teams should be worried about when you play Rutgers because defense travels, no matter the sport um, it travels. And we saw it against Purdue when they went to Purdue and we were able to get that victory. I assume they're going to play strong defense on Thursday as well. So there's, that's really what you have to look at. Um, Rutgers hasn't scored. They're averaging 70 points this season. They haven't Mm -hmm. reached that number in Big Ten play. So their identity, they want to play a slower game, kind of muck it up a bit, play ugly and play in the 60s. So that's the game that they're going to try and do. You know, they lead the conference in opponents' turnovers. Um, We mentioned they guard the three-point line really well. And at both levels, they defend. So I think that's what they're going to look at. If Michigan State could come out and, you know, score the ball, kind of punch them in the mouth right away offensively, might be a little difficult for Rutgers to keep up scoring because, again, they've had their struggles on that end as well. But with the way they defend, they've been able to stay in games and make the big shot at the end. And to flip the table right there, I mean, what would worry you the most uh, as a Rutgers fan? Obviously, you know, it's going to be the offense, but anything specifically within that offense that kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies for this showdown going on? Uh, it's really three-point shooting. You know, that's okay. 
that's been really tough for Rutgers. They again, they've defended really well. It hasn't been an aspect that's that's killed them early on. Obviously, they're having great success, but they don't. Aside from Cam Spencer, they don't really have that option that you believe in taking a shot there. You know, Mawat Mags hit a couple big ones. I mentioned Andre Hyatt when he gets in there, he's gotten hot at times. But in terms mm-hmm. of consistency, Cam Spencer is really the only one. And I feel like down the in in certain games that's going to hurt them. You know, in those games where you might have to score the ball um, when the other team comes out swinging offensively. So that might be a factor in some games. But as of now, we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, right on. And well, I have you here, you know, we just talked about, you know, a, a mucky defensive game on the basketball court. So that just makes me think about football and, you know, obviously our matchups that we've had in recent years. How do you feel just about the state of Rutgers football right now under Greg Schiano? What's what's the, the temperature like over there? I mean, it's it's got a long way to go. That's for sure. That's okay. kind of to put it lightly. You know, since yeah. Greg Schiano came, there was an immediate sense of, you know, happiness. People were content with what he was in 2020. You know, the COVID year, they were able to win three games in the Big Ten. But really, since then, there hasn't been improvements. There hasn't been any mm-hmm. steps forward. And that's kind of the main concern. So whether it's offensive line, um, wide receivers, or, of course, the quarterback play, which has been really up in the air, inconsistent um, on the field, injuries off the field. Um, Gavin Wimsatt's going to enter as that option next year. So at least they have that nailed down. But if he's not able to take that next step, it's kind of another year that's lost for this Rutgers team. Um, They just brought in Kirk Soraka to run the offense, which is a, you know, some like it, some don't. So we'll see how that works out in terms of developing the young quarterback in the offense. But as of now, the Rutgers program, it's kind of in limbo. They're waiting for something to happen to take that next step forward because the past three years have been real dreary. Is it, it's probably a little too reactionary to use the H word, right? Hot seat for Greg Schiano going into this year. I mean, how, how many more years until we get to being able to use that word over there? Yeah, I wouldn't say um, hot seat, even though some people could, you know, I think he's got so much leeway because of what he was able to do in his first yeah. tenure. You know, when a coach comes back into that situation, people still remember the good times that he had, obviously in the big East then now in the big 10, it's a, it's a whole different ball game. So I think he this hire is going to be one of Kirk Soraka that mm-hmm. kind of makes or breaks his tenure. Um, Sean Gleason spent a couple years with him. The play calling was real uninspiring. Again, just really no steps forward taken offensively. So the Kirk Soraka hire is going to be one that makes or breaks him, especially with his salary. You know, he's the highest paid assistant now in program history. So people are expecting something to wow. happen. There you go. And hey, thanks a lot for all your time, man. This has been great. Any, any final thoughts before you hop off these airwaves and go enjoy the rest of your day? Uh, in terms of the game, again, you, you're mentioning the uh, the yeah. Rutgers side. Michigan State's, especially going on the road, that's a game that, you know, it's a high game for Rutgers. It's, it's a game that can really make or break the season again. If you win that game against Tom Izzo on the road against a team like Michigan State, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. So Rutgers is feeling the same sort of anxiety despite – you know, jumping into the rankings this year and all of that. So we completely get it from our side as well, but it's going to be a show yeah. for sure. I'm so scared. I can't lie. I, I, you know, I got to say, when I looked at the schedule, I did not see this mid January game at home against Rutgers as the one that was going to emotionally break me or not. But uh, with Lee Hall's injury, this little two game skid we're on, I don't know how long Hall's going to be out for. I just, I, I need someone to hold me, but uh, right. it's going to be one to watch. That's for sure. You got that right. Yeah. So, uh, hey, but until then, guys, you know where to find us after the game. We're going to be breaking down what happened on the court of Breslin Center. But until then, hey, thank you all. And thank you, Greg Petuto of On the Banks, for joining us as well. You guys are all awesome listeners, the viewers, and Greg especially. Love you all. Go Green.